0: Please take your Bible and open it to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. We're, as you know, we're in a study of Titus with the theme, Making the Gospel Look Good. And we come to the passage today that gives us our theme. And we're going to look at it together today. We're also going to use a parallel passage in Ephesians. So we'll be looking at the, both of those together. In 1981... Uh, Janet and I took a group of people for the first time, our first trip, uh, to the nation of Israel. And uh, it was quite an experience. We had about a dozen folks that went with us. And uh, early in that trip, when we got to to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is just a, a fascinating place, especially the Old City is my favorite place in all of Israel, Uh, But the first time we went into the old city, if I can describe it for you, we came in what's called the Jaffa Gate. And right after you entered the Jaffa Gate, you go into the bazaar, the the market area, which is little tiny alleyways, not a great deal wider than this center aisle here, and, and covered. There's a covering all the way. So you're walking through this. And, and just street after street after street. But we came into the first street and it, it went, I'd say, for about 100, maybe 150 yards on a slight incline. And this is my first time to Israel. And so I'm very careful of my group and trying to keep the group together and kind of herd them like little chickens, you know. And uh, I, uh, I, I'm always kind of watching out for any problem or anything. And up ahead of us, about as far as from me to the back door back there, I see a man standing outside, right in front of one of the shops. Now, this guy, he was about naturally his physical body. He was about had to be about six five or six six. He was huge. He was big. Had a big long beard, and on top of his natural height, he had a fez. You know, one of those tall hats. I mean, he looked like Goliath standing there in the in the in the the, the walkway and he's standing just like this and he's staring at our group. And I begin to get nervous because we're walking and we're going to walk right by this guy. And so I, I kind of got the group, pushed him over a little to the other side you know, where we try to go around him. And, and so we get up there and he's just staring and he's watching us as we get up beside him and we get right beside him. Beside him, he looks at us and he says, Shalom, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> we just died laughing. Uh, he, knew that we, he knew that we were Southern Baptist. And uh, he, had, he knew there was a large group of us there. And so well, that was quite an experience. Well, why did I tell that story? I told that story to ask you to pray. <laughs> because Janet and I are leaving Tuesday with another group. We're taking a group of 22 hearty souls, uh, Lord willing, to Israel again for two weeks. And so if you just would put us on your prayer list for the next uh, couple of weeks, we would really appreciate that. And we're going to miss being here with you, but you're going to be in good hands uh, for the preaching and uh, God is going to bless you through that. Miss you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to miss you guys too. I don't know if, I don't, you know, don't, I don't know if you realize how easy it is. to to grow to love you folks we we just uh we have fallen in love with first sf san francisco is itself is a little bit of another issue we're we're still adjusting uh to that but praise the lord it's so good to be here well let's read our text this morning beginning just two verses in titus chapter two verses nine and ten Follow along with me there. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, argumentative, to, I can't say that argumentative, not pilfering but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Now that's where we get our theme. What is the doctrine of God our Savior? It's the gospel. It's, what, it's the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And Paul tells Titus to teach these bondservants to live in such a way that their lives will adorn, will make the gospel look good. And that's what God's call to each of us is. Now, if you'll just put a marker there, keep something there, and go back just a few pages to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. You've got both texts there, and we're going to go back and forth between these today. There's a parallel passage, and there's a particular reason I want to go to the parallel passage. We'll see that in a few minutes. But beginning in verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says much the same thing that he said to Titus. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word today, help us to remember that this is your word to us. And so, Lord, help us to come to it with a heart that's already uh, decided to be obedient to your word and just to understand what you say so that we'll know how we ought to live. Lord, help us to do that. Help me, Father, as I... As I seek to teach, I can only do that through your power today, Lord. And so I I ask you to please help me do that. Thank you for for giving us your word. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the title of the message, as you can see, let's put that first slide back up. Please, ma'am, thank you. Uh, There we go. Gospel living in the workplace. Now, why did I choose that? Title, because in both places, both in Titus and Ephesians, Paul begins by addressing bond servants. And you may have a uh, you may have a footnote in your margin uh, there that that tells you what that word bond servants is. That's the Greek word doulos, doulos. Now, it's not important that you remember the Greek word, but it is important for us to understand what that Greek word means and can possibly mean. The word basically means slave. A doulos was a slave. And the reality is that there were different kinds or different levels of slavery in that sense. And depending on the kind or the context or the situation, that would cause the the translation of the word doulos to be slightly different. In some places, you'll find it translated slave or slaves, plural. In other places, here, like it would be translated bond servants, because the indication is that this was a slightly different type of situation, not as harsh, perhaps as as absolute slavery. None of this is is describing what we often think of the minute we hear the word slavery we think of of what was race-based slavery in the 19th century in america 18th and 19th century in america which everyone knows was horribly horribly wrong and evil that's not the point the bible is not in any way condoning that so let's just let's say that and get that very clear in the front but the word also, so it could be slave or it could be bondservant or it also could be translated simply as servant. Now, a good explanation of this, we won't take time to go back and look at it. I know many of you have the ESV, the English Standard Version. In the preface to the Bible, what the uh, translators of the ESV did, they have an explanation of this and why it's translated different ways in different places. I want to share with you what one scholar has written about the situation in the Roman Empire at that time, which is what Paul was addressing. There were an estimated 60 million slaves. Now, this is first century, okay, first century A.D. There were an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, one-third one of the population of cities like Rome and Corinth and Ephesus. We know about... Uh, a slave uh, Onesimus in the Colossian church. And this is what the scholar wrote. By the time of the Christian era and the writing of Titus, sweeping changes had been introduced which radically improved the treatment of slaves. Slaves under Roman law in the first century could generally count on eventually being set free. Very few ever reached old age as slaves. Slave owners were releasing slaves at such a rate that Augustus Caesar introduced legal restrictions to curb the trend, despite this inscriptions indicate that almost fifty percent of slaves were freed before the age of thirty. What is more uh, what is more while the slaves remained his while the slave remained his master's possession. He could own his own property, including, amazingly, other slaves, and completely control his own property so that he could invest, he could save to purchase his own freedom. In fact, this is an interesting thing. The the nouveau rich extravaganzas of ex-slaves scandalized the old money Bostonian Romans. We also must understand that being a slave did not indicate one's social class. A slave was regularly accorded the social status of their owners. Regarding outward appearance, it was almost impossible to distinguish a slave from a free person. A slave could be a custodian, a salesman, or a CEO. Many slaves live separately from their owners. Finally, Selling oneself into slavery was commonly used as a means of obtaining Roman citizenship and gaining an entrance into society. Roman slavery in the first century was far more humane and civilized than the American-African slavery practiced in this country much later. Now here's the key point. Parallels between the relationships of first century slaves and their masters And between 21st century, employees and employees are closer than one might first think. That's why what I want to do today is to use this scripture because I think it has a parallel today with with us at our jobs. That's the picture of what is being described here in these scriptural passages. It's not is not to address the issue of slavery. As far as I know, there there are no slaves now. I mean, I know that in, in some of the illicit uh, crime in, in our country, there are slaves, but that's not what we're addressing. I don't believe there's anyone in this room at the moment who is a slave or a slave owner. So that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about today is bosses and Workers, employers and employees. And we're going to apply these biblical principles to where we are. So I want to see a show of hands. How many of you have a job? Okay. So if you have a job, this is for you. This is for you today. Now, having said that, let's look at the scripture. Okay. Beginning in verse nine here of Titus chapter two. First of all, let's look at the employees. We'll look at the two groups separately. First of all, employees. He says, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Now, we looked at that word submissive last week. It's the same word, same idea. It's a military term. It means to arrange under. And so what Paul is saying to these slaves who uh, were there in a part of the church in the first century He's saying to them that you are to willingly submit yourselves to your masters in everything. Now, it's not, this is not a, um, the, the word here. here is not an, it's not an issue of, uh, uh, what's, I don't know a good word. Uh, it's not an issue of fawning servility, if that makes sense. It's not meaning when you say you're submissive and everything, not meaning that he's saying to the master, shaking in his boots lest he make a wrong move or fawning saying, yes, sir, double yes, sir, whatever you say, sir, anytime, sir, you know, that kind of thing. It's not that. What it is, rather, it is suggesting a Christian reverence and respect for the master's position and authority. Now, in our work situation, that would mean an employee being submissive to his boss submissive to his or her boss. That's what it's talking about, this Christian reverence for their position and their authority. Now let's just stop right there. I'll ask a pastoral question, and only, only you can answer this. Some of your coworkers might can answer it for you. But let me just ask you the pastoral question. Are you submissive to your boss? Are you one of these kinds of employees who's just constantly resisting Everything the boss says and does. The Bible says we're to be submissive to them. Now, what about if there's a non-Christian boss? Well, back in First Timothy chapter one, chapter six, verse one. Paul says, let all who are under yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So even if you have, even if you're a worker who has a non-Christian boss, you're still supposed to be submissive to them. Why? So that the name of God and the teaching of God, in other words, the gospel, will not be reviled. The way you live and work with your boss has something to say about your claim to being a Christian and following the Lord Jesus Christ. But what if you have a Christian boss? The next verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2, says those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved." In other words, what Paul is saying is if you work for a fellow Christian, don't take advantage of that person because they are your brother or sister in Christ. Does that make sense? Now, I can illustrate that uh, with something that I saw happen years ago when I was single living in Burbank in a church there. I had a friend uh, in the church. His name was Jim. And he was... uh, Jim professed to love the Lord, and he was, uh, Jim was, he was a little different, in his personality. But he worked for another man in the church. And uh, I heard that he lost his job. And I was talking to this other man, said something about, I heard that Jim's not working for you anymore. And he said, he just put his head down, and he said, yeah, I said, I felt so bad about that, but I had no choice but to fire him. And I said, really, why? He said, well, it was common practice for him when it was break time at work that he would take his Bible and go on his break. And at that time, the breaks were 15 minutes. And he would come back 15, 20, 30 minutes late from break and when I would say something to him, he would say, oh, brother, I, I'm sorry, but you understand. I just got so involved in reading in reading the, the scripture that I just couldn't help myself. And you understand, don't you? Paul said, don't do that. Don't take advantage of your brother or sister in Christ in the workplace. Now, how? do you submit yourself? How is it possible for a Christian to be submissive to their boss? Okay? The key is to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. To focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now for that, go with me back to the Ephesians 6 passage. Paul says it over and over and over here in Ephesians 6. (coughs) Look at verse 5. Bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere, sincere heart. what's this? as you would Christ. See there you're, you're going to serve your master as you would the Lord Jesus himself. Then in verse six he says, "Not by the way of eye service as pleasing as people pleasers, what's this, but as bond servants of Christ. In other words, you're not trying to just look good in the eyes of your boss, you're trying to look good at work in the eyes of Jesus. The key is the focus on Christ. Verse eight, uh, excuse me, verse seven, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. As to the Lord, over and over again, he keeps saying the same thing. And then he says in verse eight, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. You see what Paul is saying there? He's saying that you're gonna live a certain way at your job, you're gonna live to honor Christ at your job, and the only reward you're looking for out of that is the reward that comes from the Lord Jesus himself. That's the motivation for a Christian. That's how we ought to think and we ought to act. It is possible for someone to cook a meal as if Jesus were going to eat it. It's possible to clean the house as if Jesus were going to be the guest. It's possible for a teacher to educate children, for a doctor to treat patients and nurses to care for them, for lawyers to help clients, for shop assistants to serve customers, for accountants to audit books and secretaries to type letters. And in each case, it's possible to do that as if you were serving the Lord Jesus himself when you do it. And that's what Paul, under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, is calling us to as Christians. Now back to Titus. Paul says this by making two major contrasts in the way a worker, an employee on his job is supposed to work. First of all, he says, not, excuse me, he says in verse 9, be submissive in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. The contrast between well-pleasing and argumentative. The word well-pleasing is obviously, it means exactly what it's saying. It's a right heart attitude. It's, it's goodly, it's agreeable. Now, we it. last week, we learned the definition of obedience. Does anybody remember the definition of obedience? I didn't get you to do it with me last week. I want you to do it with me this week. Okay, put your hands like this. You're saying, this is for kids. Yeah, we teach it like this so that you adults will understand it. okay. Obedience is doing what God says, when God says, with a happy heart. Now say it with me. Obedience is doing what God says, when God says, with a happy heart. Okay? Any one of those three is missing is not obedience. Doing what God says, not doing what he says is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Disobedience. Lacking to have a right heart attitude when you're doing it is disobedience. All of that is involved together. And that's what the Lord is talking about here. This idea of well-pleasing is a right heart attitude. Being agreeable, not argumentative. Speaking against. Contradicting either by your words or your conduct. Does your boss think of you as someone who is agreeable or someone who's always contentious? If you're a Christian... You should be thought of as agreeable. The next contrast, he says, is not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Now, pilfering is not a word probably that you've used in a text recently. It's not something that we use a lot. The word that's translated pilfering there, yeah, I mean, we all know what pilfering means. It means to steal. But the particular word that's translated there carries uh, the idea of doing something surreptitiously. It almost carries the idea of shoplifting. We all know what shoplifting is. What it literally means is to keep, one ba- keep back for oneself. To keep something back for oneself. Do you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament? Uh, where they everybody was giving uh, their money, they were selling things and giving the money to the Lord. They sold a piece of property <coughs> and Ananias with his wife's knowledge kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. There's that word, kept back for himself. That's the word pilfering here. Taking things home that that belong to the boss at work. He says, now don't do that, but... Do the opposite of that, showing all good faith. This means being an employee who is trustworthy at your job. Your boss can trust you with the things of the job. He can trust you with the tools of the job. He can trust you with any part of the job. Like Potiphar and Joseph, when Joseph was sold into slavery in Potiphar's house in Egypt, it says that Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. He trusted Joseph completely. That's the idea here. Be the kind of employee who is absolutely trustworthy. Now, to do that, you have to follow one thing that Paul said in Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. Paul said, not by, way, by the way of eye service, as people pleasers. What does that mean? That means that you only do your job the right way with the right heart when the boss is looking. And when he's not looking, you do something else. Ever seen that in action? The best illustration I know of that, and we probably all have seen this maybe, is a high school physical education class. How many of you took phys ed at some point in school? Okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking about because when you're in phys ed and you're in the class and it's, it's the time in the class that you're doing your exercises to warm up and one of the exercises that you did would be push-ups. Remember push-ups? Carmen's shaking her head. Carmen didn't like push-ups, Yeah. You know, and the the instructor, the teacher, the coach, they would call it, they would say, down, up, down, up. Now, where were the eyes of every student in that class? On the teacher. Because the teacher's calling, down, up, down, up. And then the teacher turns to do something else, calling, down, up, down, up, and the minute that teacher's not looking, you go like this. <laughs> That's exactly what this word means, this phrase. Well pleasing, eye pleasing, to be a people pleaser. Listen, if you have a job, the one you're concerned about, we've already seen this so clearly, the one you're concerned about who's watching you on your job is Jesus. Not the boss, you want to please jesus it 's not just at work it 's everywhere, right but what we 're talking about here specifically is doing this at work so now let's uh, let 's quickly move from employees uh, to the bosses. What about the bosses okay over in Ephesians verse nine and the reason this is the reason that I wanted to use the parallel passage especially is because Uh, Titus doesn't say anything uh, specifically about the masters. But here in verse 9, Paul says to the Ephesians, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. So what we have here is what I want to call the managerial golden rule. The golden rule for bosses. And the golden rule for bosses is in verse nine, do the same to them. Do the same to them. Stop your threatening, do the same to them. What is the same? Well, Paul has just said <coughs> that these slaves, these bond servants, they were to render their service with goodwill. They were to do good and, re- and expect to receive back from the Lord. They were They were to do their um uh, their work with the fear and trembling with a sincere heart. All of these things that the slave, the bond servant was called to do, he's now saying, masters, you do the same thing. It's the same as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You don't just demand, and this is where the threatening comes in. Bosses are not to be just be threatening and to demand Obedience and and doing things and and bully their workers into doing them a certain way. If you're a Christian boss, you should never lead like that. You should never be one who threatens your workers in that way. And Paul gives two reasons why a Christian boss should not be threatening his workers. The first reason is you're both Christians. You're both Christians. How do we know that? Because he says in verse 9, that who is both their master and yours is in heaven. So these employees, these bond servants, most often people who had willingly put themselves into this role to better their status in life, you are to understand these people are working for you. He's talking about a Christian boss with Christian workers because these workers have the Lord Jesus as their master in heaven. So the first thing is, The reason that you don't threaten, the reason that you don't bully is because you're both Christians. You have to understand that in Christ, no matter your status, you're all one in the Lord. That's what Galatians 3.28 says. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. The second reason that Paul gives for not bullying and threatening your workers, bosses, is that you're both slaves. You're both bondservants. Notice what he says. Stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours. Not only do your workers have a, a boss, a master, but you, boss, have a master, and your master, he says, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said this in Colossians chapter four, verse one. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. What God expects from Christian bosses is that they treat their workers with love and concern and care. A good Christian boss must be careful to pay fair wages and benefits. (coughs) Excuse me. Must care about his employees' illnesses. Must be concerned for their marriages for their children, for their homes and their education and their future. A good Christian boss cares for his workers the way that Jesus cares for him. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, folks... I don't see how the Bible could be more practical than it is in what it's saying here. But we have to go back and we have to remember the reason why the Lord inspired Paul to tell Titus to teach this. Remember verse 1 of chapter 2. But as for you, Titus... Teach what accords with sound doctrine. And so he gives him these instructions. He inspires this writing for the older men, for the older women, for the younger women, for the younger men, and now for the bondservants. And he says, You are going to live this way. Why? The reason you're going to live this way is so that in everything, They may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You're going to live this way, Christian boss or Christian worker. You're going to live this way in order to make the gospel look good. That's what God is calling us to through what Paul is writing to Titus. Now I want to share something with you that was written in the second century A.D. by a very prominent Christian writer. His name was Justin Martyr. Now, remember, this is almost 2,000 years ago. Almost 2,000 years ago. Here's what he wrote. Many who have come in contact with us, talking about us Christians, were overcome and changed from violent and tyrannical characters, either, in other words, they came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they were overcome and changed either from having watched the constancy of their Christian neighbors or, watch this, or from doing business with Christians. They came to know the Lord Jesus Christ either from watching their Christian neighbors or from doing business with Christians. Which prompts a question. How many people have ever come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by the way you do your job? Remember something I said in the last couple of weeks. If you bear the name Christian you are the best Christian somebody knows. You may be the only Christian they know, and if that's true, they're watching you. They're watching the way you do your job. I had a I heard a young lady in the church just this week sharing about how she didn't even realize it, but something had happened at work and she was coming to her community group uh, that night and on her, on her way to leave or when it was time to leave or something one of her co-workers said uh, have a good time tonight I know you're going to your church I hope it goes well and, and the girl said I didn't even know she knew I was a Christian they're watching oh that it could be true in the 21st century like it was in the 2nd century that people would be overcome and changed from being violent and tyrannical characters, either from having watched the constancy of their Christian neighbors or from doing business with Christians.